Amen. Kids up through fifth grade, you are dismissed to go ahead and uh, go to your classrooms. Uh, for the rest of us, let's continue in worship by turning in our Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. 1 Thessalonians is in the New Testament, and uh, go ahead and turn there. Uh, thank you so much to the worship team. It is uh, Youth Sunday, uh, so, um, so every couple of months we have the youth uh, that leads us in worship, and I was just so thankful uh, to them for that, um, and uh, Especially just thinking, those, thinking about those words that we just sang in light of this series that we've been going through. For endless days we will sing his praise. Um, thinking about that, thinking about what that means. Uh, I've think, been thinking about that a lot this week in light of uh, Gary's passing. And is, I don't know, is Mickey in here this morning? I don't know if she's here or she's watching online. Um, but uh, there's just a, there's a reality to this that we need to understand. We're not just kind of messing around in here. Um, and I don't want to sound morbid or strange here, but uh, Gary was, was in here last Sunday. <laughs> he was in here and he heard the sermon and participated in worship with us, and now he's with Jesus. <laughs> and he never had a thought that that would be his last uh, time in here. Um, and so there might be, again, not to get morbid, might be somebody else, some others in this room that maybe this is your last time in a worship service. You don't know. We, that's the point. We don't know. Um, um, but the hope that we have is so marvelous. It just goes so far beyond words. And uh, man, I wish we could hear from Gary this morning and he could tell me all the things I've been wrong about the last couple of weeks and, and maybe some things we've been right about too. Um, but I don't think he could tell us because it's, it's beyond our ability to even communicate. It's so glorious. And so praise God uh, for that. So this week, we're going to continue uh, in this series. It's going to be our final week on heaven and hell, life after, life after death. Um, thankful to Pastor Jerry for preaching last week where we were on vacation and over fall break. And um, just uh, he, w- he took the first week of the Q&A. And uh, you guys, uh, if you're new with us, by the way, my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, so we've been going through this series talking about eternity. And so throughout this series, we've been giving people the opportunity to, to submit questions. You guys submitted an, um, amazing questions, a lot of questions, some really good questions. And uh, so he took uh, some of them last week. I'm going to take some of them this week. And then for the rest of them, we are going to, uh, Pastor Jerry and I are going to kind of write uh, in a blog post. We're going to answer the rest of the questions that were submitted, and we'll send that out to you when that is finished. Um, we'll do our best with that. Um, so, but this week is our last week in the series, and then next week we're actually doing a, a one-off message. Uh, as uh, maybe you realize, maybe you don't. Uh, next week marks one year until uh, the presidential election of 2024, which we're all just so excited about. I know, like. Thank goodness we get to enter into another election season, and uh, it's just going to be great for our country. We all have a, a feeling we're all going to leave more united and more feeling so good about where we are as a country afterwards. But um, I think in light of what we've been talking about of eternity, it gives us a really good opportunity to then talk about how do we think about entering an election season as a church, as salt and light. And so that's what we're going to talk about um, next week. So excited about that. But this week, I uh, have some more questions, uh, things to get into. Um, so let's pray, and then we will jump in. Bow your heads with me. Well, Heavenly Father, God, we, um, 
we do praise you um, for um, the reality that we were created in your image. Hard to comprehend, God. Uh, you created us to rule and reign over the earth with you as your representatives. And um, Lord, we took that opportunity that goes, um, that is just an unthinkable opportunity that you gave us, and we squandered it with sin because we said instead of wanting to co-rule with you, we'd, we would rather do it on our own and make our own decisions, and be our own God, and be our own boss. And, um, and at that moment, God, you would have been right to wipe us out. And instead, um, you sent your son to die so that we could be reconciled to you, be filled with your spirit, and be given the guarantee of our inheritance to come in the future for all who follow Jesus. And so the, the truths that we talk about are just so beyond what we can even uh, begin to communicate, Lord. Yeah, and you've given, yet you've given us your word, and we praise you. We thank you for your word. Lord, help us have a hunger for your word. And uh, I pray if there's anyone in this room um, whose uh, eternal destiny um, is not uh, in uh, eternity with you, God, uh, but instead is in hell because they're not following Jesus, Lord, I pray um, that they would follow Jesus, they would know the love of our Savior, they would repent of their sin and believe in the gospel, Lord. As we talk about uh, these questions and the hope that we have in eternity, I just pray you'd give us a wisdom and guidance, and more than that, just an excitement for what's to come. We love you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, last week, uh, Pastor Jerry just did such a great job uh, talking about some of these things and uh, some really hard topics. Um, and I loved what he talked about, too, and just the, the, the discipline of meditating on eternity, right? It's just something we would be all so well served if we would think about these things more. And uh, I, I just agree with that wholeheartedly. And then one of the things that he talked about uh, in his sermon last week, if you heard it, was the question, will there be dogs in heaven? You guys remember that? And even kind of talked about... Uh, the, you know, if there's a special dog to you, is there an, uh, the chance that maybe that will, dog will be in eternity with you? You know, maybe. We don't know. Uh, we have a dog. His name's Freddy. I like him, but uh, I don't want to spend eternity with Freddy. <laughs> so I'm praying that he's not up there, but um, I mean, he's fine, but I mean, that eternity is a long time to spend with a dog, so... Um, but then there was, so we talked about dogs, but then some people I heard asked the question, what about cats? Will there be cats in heaven? Uh, so that's the first question we're going to answer. Um, no, there won't be <laughs> cats in heaven. Okay, question number two. Uh, this is a good question too. Do I have to say I'm joking? I think we all, okay, anyways. Um, question number two. It's a good one too. It's kind of starting lighthearted here. My grandson says Buzz Lightyear says to infinity and beyond. My question is, what is beyond infinity? That's an interesting question. More infinity is the answer. Um, infinity, infinity never ends. And it really blows your mind to think about it. I was so in, uh, when I was in college, I was a Bible major and I was uh, very bad at math. And so they put us all, in, us all people who were bad at math into this class called Investigations into Mathematics. And one of the things we talked about is there's actually different levels of infinity, which is really uh, interesting. There's this, I looked it up, this German mathematician, George Cantor, uh, 
discovered that. So if you want to learn more about infinity, you can look that up, but we don't have any more time to talk about that this morning. But that's, uh, so what's beyond infinity is more infinity. Infinity, go, infinity, eternity goes on forever and ever. Okay, now I'll get a little more serious here. Next question. What is meant by a heavenly body and will we be able to recognize each other? Uh, what is meant by a heavenly body? So one of the things that we've talked about in this series is the idea of the resurrection. Um, and so when Jesus was on earth, we know we've read the stories of the miracles where he raised people from the dead, right? There were people who were dead, and then he brought them back to life. Um, and so uh, when they were raised from the dead, though, they were raised back into their earthly bodies, and then they died again. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, it was a first-of-its-kind resurrection because he was resurrected to his eternal body, to his uh, glorified body, his resurrected body. Um, it was not his earthly body that he was resurrected to. And uh, his body is kind of gives us the foretaste of what our bodies are going to be like. And so this question, what's meant by a heavenly body, we're going to be able to recognize each other. This is actually a question. Uh, this is not the first time this question's been asked. In fact, the Apostle Paul uh, talks about this. Uh, he must have been having a Q&A session of his own. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And uh, this is a really good question. And so he goes on to answer this in verse 40. And he's, talking, he's giving a, a metaphor here, an analogy. He says, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So it's a, he's kind of taking this, it's a little bit confusing, his train of thought, but he's talking about like heavenly bodies, like resurrected bodies, but then he's also talking about heavenly bodies like the sun, moon, and stars in the sky. And back then, uh, there was no uh, concept or understanding of like the earth as uh, a globe that rotates around the sun and uh, the sun being one star in a galaxy with other stars that are farther away and the sun is brightest to us because it's closest to us. Uh, the kind of the scientific consensus at the time was that there was like uh, the, the earth and then there was kind of this um, flat, uh, this uh, hard dome over the earth and then there was uh, water up there, and then there was heaven up there, and on the inside of this hard dome was the sun and the moon and the stars, and they were all these, kind of, quote, heavenly bodies that um, were different levels of brightness and different levels of light. So he's saying, well, we could, he's, he's using their understanding of astronomy during the day, to, or during that time, to say, well, we all know the sun's really bright, and the moon's kind of bright, and the stars are up there, but they're, they're dim, and uh, there's different levels of brilliance and glory with these stars, and so the sun is um, much brighter than the stars, and you can see the difference in their glories, and he says, in the same way, our resurrected bodies are going to have a greater glory than our earthly bodies. You see what I'm saying there? So what he's saying is that there's going to be a level of glory that your resurrected body has that your earthly body does not have. And then he says this in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse, uh, 
Oh, I was supposed to put that up there for you guys to read. So I'm in charge of my own PowerPoint this week for the first time ever, which is dangerous. So we're going to miss some things here. Anyways, um, okay, so Philippians chapter 3, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. See, when Jesus was resurrected, he was resurrected into his glorified body, which he will remain in for eternity. So Jesus didn't go like back up into heaven as a, like a spirit. He is in heaven as with his glorified body that he has. You understand that? And so what Paul is saying is he's uh, going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorified body. So the resurrected, glorified body of Christ is the first fruits. The f- we all understand about first fruits in a farming community, right? This is the first, uh, the, the, the first evidence of what our bodies are going to look like. And so we can look to the glorified body of Christ, as little information as we have, but we, we can look to the glorified body of Christ to get a taste for what our glorified bodies are going to be like. So we can look in, uh, at that and we can see a few things. Like, for instance, Jesus was recognizable uh, when he wanted to be. It's really kind of interesting. So there are sometimes after the resurrection, there are appearances, right, where people did recognize him right away. There's other times where they didn't recognize him right away, and then all of a sudden they recognized him right away. But when Jesus wanted to be, he was recognizable. So what does that mean for our uh, glorified bodies? I, I think we're going to be able to recognize each other. Also, Jesus's resurrection body bore some of the marks of his earthly body, right? He still had the scars from his hands, in his hands and his feet uh, from the crucifixion. And so in some way, there's some carryover between his earthly body and his glorified body, and the same will be true of us. Now, if you got a tattoo when you were 18 that you regret and you're ready to be rid of, I don't think it means you're going to be stuck with that for eternity necessarily. But so what is, again, what does this mean exactly for us? I don't know, but I think we can go as far to say Jesus's resurrection body, it bore some of the marks of his earthly body, and we can expect that that uh, will probably be true of us. Uh, Jesus ate and drank. Uh, so the question, are we going to eat anything or drink anything? If some, I used to think this. I don't know why I thought it. I used to think we wouldn't eat or drink anything in, in uh, creation, uh, new creation. I mean, uh, that's not true. <laughs> and biblically, it's very uh, clear. We'll eat and drink. Jesus ate and drank with the disciples after he was resurrected. Um, will we need food for sustenance like we do now? Like, I don't really know exactly how that will work, but um, Jesus ate and drank and um, we can expect that we will too. And then this one's cool. Uh, Jesus went through walls and other cool stuff. Uh, you guys remember when the, uh, in John chapter 20 when the disciples are in a locked room because they're so afraid that, uh, well, they were followers of Jesus and Jesus died, which meant they were next. And so they're hiding in a locked room, locked room. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's Jesus right there. Um, so the laws of physics as we understand them uh, did not apply to Jesus and if our body is going to be like his body, somehow, we, I don't know. I mean, the, I've given you kind of as far as I'm comfortable going, but um, there's, uh, it's going to be different. Uh, so there's going to be a continuity with our earthly body, and yet um, it's going to be so much better. Um, so um, what will our bodies be like? Uh, really amazing is the answer. 
there's going to be a glory unlike anything that we can currently imagine. And we'll be able to do things that we can only dream of doing now. If you have a, a disability of some kind or something that's plagued you for your whole life, a, a physical issue, like guess what? Jesus is going to fix that. Um, man, that is good news. And the, 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 the memory of that struggle that you had on earth, I think, is just going to cause you to glorify God all that much more in eternity when he makes it right. So uh, are, there's going to be a continuity to our bodies, certainly, uh, but it's going to be better. And I think we'll certainly be able to recognize each other. Somebody asked you, like, how old will we appear? Uh, there's some people who think we'll all be the age that Jesus was when he was crucified. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if we can really answer that question necessarily. But um, there will be some continuity between our current bodies and our glorified bodies. But, man, it's going to be way better. Good? All right. Next question. Can you explain 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 17? I can try. Okay, that's a good question. Uh, it's one of the highest ranked questions because you guys were all able to rank up the questions that you wanted to, um, uh, to answer here. So uh, this was one of them. So hopefully you've turned there. I'll also have it on your screen here. So let me just read it and then we'll talk about it. Verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is a really interesting question. Can you explain 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 17? You can see I went to verse 18. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, it's an interesting question. I don't know who asked this question. I have my suspicions who asked this question. I'm actually, those suspicions were just confirmed to me by a spouse that betrayed her husband. Um, so I know who asked the question now. And that's what I thought when I wrote the answer. But there's actually a couple uh, reasons why you might ask this question. And this passage is actually the key passage to defend two theological positions that I personally don't hold, um, meaning being the first one being the idea of the rapture and the second one being the idea of soul sleep. So we'll talk about um, just very briefly, we don't really have time to get into the rapture, but this you see on your screen, um, this verse, uh, verse 17, uh, we who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. So it's this idea is what people who uh, argue for the rapture argue that this means we'll be caught up out of this earth and taken up into heaven uh, to meet, meet Jesus in the air, and then he'll take us into heaven. I understand this passage uh, differently. I understand this passage to mean that we're going to go up and uh, meet Jesus when, G when Jesus finally returns to earth, like we've been talking about, makes his triumphal return, we'll be caught up to meet with Jesus and then come back down with him. And the reason I think that is because I think what's being uh, uh, communicated here is more like a welcoming party. So the, the best analogy I could think of to this is like if you, uh, like we've had friends uh, 
come visit us from out of town that we hadn't seen in a long time, and you've had that maybe too, or family members that live out of town you haven't seen in a while, and they pull up into your driveway, and what do you do? You run out to the car, and you give them a big hug, and then you bring them inside. You don't uh, just wait for them to come to the door. You, you, as soon as you see them, you run out. Uh, and so I think what is, that was very much a cultural thing back then as well, that you would go out and greet your guests and then bring them into the home. And so I think that's what's being communicated here. Uh, I don't think that this is communicating the idea of the rapture. This is the kind of one of the key passages to defend the idea of the rapture. Um, and uh, I know there's many of you in here who believe in the rapture. I hold my position very loosely. Um, if the rapture happens and you and I happen to be, you know, on our way up in the clouds, we're all standing there uh, buck naked, and, uh, and uh, you're like, you'd be like, well, I told you, Pastor Mike. And I'd be like, yep, you were right. So um, I don't think it matters that much because uh, we're not really going to be uh, doing I told you so's when that happens. We're going to be thinking about Jesus. And so um, maybe it's communicating the rapture. Uh, I would argue that it's not. That's not the theological position I hold, but this is very much an issue that we can, uh, we can agree to disagree on and be fine. And uh, anyways... I think that this question was actually being asked uh, about the, the second theological position that I also don't hold, which is the idea of soul sleep. Has anyone ever heard that term before, soul sleep? Raise your hand if you've heard it. Um, yeah, it's uh, uh, an interesting theological position. So basically, um, this position comes from the fact that, first of all, one of the things we've been talking about throughout this whole series is we know way more about what happens when Jesus comes back than we do about right after we die. And so we spent a whole sermon talking about the fact that basically we know we'll be with Jesus and it's going to be better. So if you uh, die in Christ, you can know right away you'll be with Jesus and it will be better. Now, soul sleep is a theological position that argues that when you die, you... Um, your soul goes to sleep, for lack of a better term. And uh, when you wake up, you, are that, you wake up when Jesus comes back. And you don't know any difference. So uh, the next, you, you die, and then the next instant that you are aware of is when Jesus comes back. And so whether you die uh, a thousand years before Jesus comes back or ten minutes before Jesus comes back, it will feel the same to everyone. And it's just kind of this place where um, you... Um, you're not aware. You're just kind of waiting for Jesus to return. And so, uh, again, this is one of the key passages for that, especially because, um, in part, because he talks about, uh, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, right? That you may not grieve as those who have no hope. Uh, and then he talks about, again, uh, we who are alive will be left to the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So there's two categories in this scripture. There are people who are alive, and there are people who are asleep. And um, so it's an interesting view. I've been tempted to hold this view uh, personally in the past, uh, but the reason I've decided against it is because of the very few passages that we do have that talk about the intermediate heaven uh, that we just said, that to, bar to depart from the body is to be with the Lord, and that's far better. Um, but then the person who argues for soul sleep would, be say, would say, well, yeah, but in their mind, they are just departing from the body and then immediately being with the Lord as far as they know. But to me, I just, I can't get there uh, because it feels like that's not really what that passage is saying, that really to be with the Lord. When Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So uh, that's, it's a, again, it's an uh, interesting position. Um, certainly people that I respect uh, hold this view, uh, 
uh, I personally can't get there. But I want to close with um, this, the last part, and I included verse 18. Uh, and this is the most important part. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Encourage one another with these words. So these verses have spawned thousands of years of theological debate, but really, what are these verses supposed to do? Be an encouragement. Why? Because death is not the end of the story. And so if you've dealt with loss recently, again, just talking about Gary Ryan and talking about others, um, like these are the words that you should be encouraged by, that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. Like one day this is literally going to happen. Jesus is going to descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Meaning those who have already died will be the first ones to receive their resurrection bodies. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will always be with the Lord. We can debate the first part of that verse all we want, but really we need to focus on the second part. We will always be with the Lord. Oh, man. Always. Eternity, which means eternity. <laughs> Infinity. No more tears. No more loss. No more brokenness. No more worry about cancer or shootings or war. This will happen. And so as your pastor, I can't encourage you with words like, uh, don't worry, your cancer is definitely going to be cured. Don't worry, your financial tr troubles are definitely going to be over soon. Don't worry, your child is definitely going to turn back to Jesus. Don't worry, your infertility issues will definitely be over soon, and you'll have that baby that you so desperately long for. Like, I want to give those words of encouragement, but I can't. Maybe we can pray for those things. We pray for all those things. We desperately pray for all those things for one another and the other burdens that we carry I can't promise you those things in Scripture, but I can give you this promise that is so much better as we walk through the pain and hardship and difficulty and tragedy of life. We can look to the cross and say, one day that man who died on that cross, the Son of God, is going to come back and he's going to set everything right again. And so we encourage each other with these words, with the reality. As we look around, man, the world just Good grief. I mean, you can't turn on the news for one day without just horrifying things. We see the reality of sin and just the, the perverse effects of sin are just worldwide. And they're in our homes. And they're in our hearts. We say, how long, O oh Lord? Oh, but he's coming back. And we will always be with the Lord. So we encourage each other with these words. Amen. So we can, talk, we can have the debates, we can have the discussions, we can talk about the rapture, we can talk about soul sleep or whatever, great. It's interesting, but uh, what Jesus wants us to do is encourage each other with these words that he's coming back. Amen? Amen. All right, next question. We're going to take this in a completely different direction. You ready? Will we have sex in heaven? Now, somebody had the guts to ask this question that everyone's been wondering, 
And I also noticed that, no, again, I said you can vote up these questions. Nobody voted it up, and I think it's because people were afraid maybe you could see who voted for it and they didn't want to be embarrassed or something. It was asked anonymously. But it's a good question. And <laughs> you guys got to stop there in the front row. It's a good question. And uh, it's a question that uh, C.S. Lewis wrestled with. And uh, if he can wrestle with it, we can talk about it too. It's, a, it's an interesting question. Um, so I don't know who asked it. I don't know if you want to raise your hand at it and say it, but good for you. Thank you for asking this question. Um, so let's talk about it. Matthew chapter 22, the Sadducees are trying to trap Jesus. And the Sadducees, we need to, a lot of times we can just like mix them together with the Pharisees and the scribes and think they're all one thing. The Sadducees are they're very much their own group, who, and their thing, the thing about being a Sadducee was that you didn't believe in the resurrection. And so as they're talking to Jesus, who's preaching the resurrection, they're trying to trap him and make it seem and show that the resurrection doesn't make any sense at all. And so we know the story. They're asking a question about a hypothetical woman who had lost seven different husbands on earth. And they asked whose uh, uh, wife that she would be married to, whose person she would, which person she would be married to in the resurrection, meaning like uh, this doesn't make any sense. And they, the what they described was kind of the biblical uh, way that uh, if uh, your husband died and you didn't have any heirs, then you would marry the next of kin. And, then, and so they went on through and said, this lady did what she was supposed to do. And all her husband died. She didn't have any heirs. So who's she going to be married to? It's, it, it doesn't make any sense. And so this was Jesus' response to their trap. It says this, Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures, meaning they were actually misunderstanding those, those scriptures, nor the power of God. And we're going to get back to that. That's key. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, this is fascinating. This is actually like genuinely new information that Jesus gave about what life's going to be like in the resurrection. And I wish he gave us so much more than this, but um, we learned this from Jesus. Like, okay, so there's no marriage in heaven. This is interesting. This might be something for some of you that has made you a little bit uncomfortable about eternity. Like, what? I can't even fathom spending eternity not being married to my spouse. Um, and so uh, there's no marriage, what Jesus says. And so uh, there's no procreation. There's, uh, there will be no sex in heaven is what we get from this passage. Uh, and that's a bummer, right? Um, well, no, actually, it's not. And the reason lies with what Jesus said in verse 29, that they understand neither the scriptures nor the power of God. See, the Sadducees were limiting God's power in the resurrection based on their idea of how things currently are rather than how God can make them to be. And so if we think that heaven is somehow deficient because it lacks this great uh, physical pleasure that we experience in marriage on earth, we're underestimating the power of God to give us a greater pleasure in heaven. And this is what I want you to see. This C.S. Lewis had this quote, and it's, he's just the master of analogies, and this has been so good, not just to think about this question, but a lot of things when it comes to eternity. This is what he says. I think our present outlook might be like that of a small boy who, on being told that the sexual act was the highest bodily pleasure, should immediately ask whether you ate chocolates at the same time. It's kind of funny. On receiving the answer no, 
he might regard the absence of chocolates as the chief characteristic of sexuality. In vain would you tell him that the reason why lovers in their raptures don't bother about chocolates is that they have something better to think of. The boy knows chocolate. He does not know the positive thing that excludes it. We are in the same position. We know the sexual life. We do not know, except in glimpses, the other thing which in heaven will leave no room for it. And that's a really fascinating way to think about this. Do you, think what he's, you see what he's saying? He's saying if you try to explain the pleasures of a sexual relationship to a young, chi- a young child, they would just assume it involves eating chocolates because that's the greatest thing that they can possibly imagine. And then you say, well, no. And then they, they think, wow, that's really too bad. That's a bummer. Like, that doesn't sound like anything I would want to be a part of. And um, the point is that we cannot even begin to think understand the kinds of pleasures that we're going to experience in the new creation. We can't even begin to wrap our minds around it. So much that the greatest pleasures that you can think of on earth are going to pale in comparison. So we don't want to limit the power of God. There's not going to be one single thing that in the new creation that we're going to sit around talking about like, man, that's a bummer that we used to be able to do that and now we can't anymore. Like that is really a bummer. I think that um, in the new creation... If something that we currently enjoy isn't there, it's because it will be replaced by something better. And if there is something that we currently enjoy in the new creation, we'll be able to enjoy it to a greater and fuller and more God-glorifying extent than we can now. I know Bryce is wondering, like, are we going to be able to play basketball in the new creation, right? And I don't know, but what I do know, Bryce, is that if there isn't basketball, it's because there's going to be something that's way better than basketball. And if there is basketball, you're going to be able to actually enjoy basketball and glorify God more in basketball in then, even than you can right now. Now, I don't know, you, well, maybe I'll never miss a shot. Well, that might get boring, so you probably would still miss a shot here, but you'll be able to glorify God more in it, and you can fill in the blank with whatever it is. So I think sometimes we just get worried about, again, eternity is a really long time, is it not? And sometimes that freaks us out. Sometimes we think, I know this life, and that's good. There are good things on this life. I don't really know that life, and it scares me to think about, like, what is eternity going to be like? And it's the same way with trying to explain um, to that little boy, and uh, we're, we're the same way. We can't, we can't understand what kind of joys and pleasures are going to be in the new creation. So if we think that, oh, there's certain things that won't be there, uh, well, that's just going to be a bummer, but it's not that. If, and I'll say it again. In the new creation, if something that we currently enjoy isn't there, it's because it's going to be replaced by something better. And if there is something we currently enjoy in the new creation, we'll be able to enjoy it to a greater and fuller and more God-glorifying extent than we can now. So there's nothing to be afraid of. I think that's a really important thing because, uh, again, I remember as a kid just being a little bit freaked out about heaven and a little bit freaked out about the idea of eternity. And not just as a kid, if I'm really honest. Um, it's, it's kind of a scary thing to think about sometimes. But it's going to be so much better. Um, and we're going to be able to glorify God um, in a way that we can't currently do that even now. We can just do that, get a taste of that now. So, all right, next uh, question. Last question that we are going to address um, this morning. Will we work in heaven 
and will we get to use our gifts and passions in heaven? Will we work in heaven? Yes, we will. Um, maybe mixed reactions to that, like, oh man, I don't want to work in heaven. I thought it was supposed to be an eternal paradise vacation, right? Um, no, we're going to work in heaven. And uh, the evidence of that is, that, like, I can say this actually very, um, I, I, very clearly, the Bible's clear on this, we're going to work in heaven. Uh, and you actually don't have to turn farther than page two of your Bible to see it. Um, I don't know if you've noticed it before, but work actually came before the fall. God put Adam in the garden to work and take care of it, if you look there in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Adam was created to work, but that work didn't become painfully difficult until after the fall. Genesis chapter 3, cursed is the ground because of you. God's talking to Adam here after they have sinned and eaten the fruit of the tree that he commanded them not to. Well, this is a punishment. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. And we've all had hard days at work. And we've all had good days at work. And the hard days remind us that um, the earth has fallen and that it's going to be con continue to be difficult until Jesus returns. Um, yeah, I think about uh, my wife is uh, substitute teaching right now, which has just given me a real uh, unbelievable appreciation for our teachers. And uh, y'all have some hard days at work. <laughs> and you see the effects of sin right in front of your face from the moment the bell rings in the morning to the moment it rings in the afternoon, right? Uh, and it's not just, it's teacher. I was just uh, talking to uh, one of our farmers uh, before uh, church, um, even this morning, he asked this very question. Uh, it was Mark Toll. And he said, uh, am I going to farm in the new creation? And I said, do you want to farm? And he said, well, yeah, but I don't want there to be rocks, and I don't want to just break chemicals, and I don't want equipment to break down. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's probably a pretty good, accurate representation of how we're going to be. And maybe, uh, but, but then we also, there's people who, uh, whose gifts are, well, when equipment does break down, they can fix it. And I think they're going to be able to use their gifts in creation. So maybe your equipment will break down, but you won't be so tempted to say bad words when it happens because uh, you'll be able to get right into the repairman. And uh, I just think that, uh, yeah, we, we were created to work. And we've all had these days, too, as much as we've all had hard days that remind us of the fall, we've all had these days, too. Maybe it was in your actual job. Maybe it was just in something, a hobby or something that you just love to do. And you worked hard. You sweated. You put your heart and soul into something. And it was not easy. But you, when you accomplished it or when you got on the other side of it, you're like, man, I just feel good. Like, I feel like this is what God created me for. And that is like such a taste of, I think, what we can expect eternity to be like without those really awful days that we currently experience. Um, so I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that not only are we going to be able to work in heaven, but that it's going to be fulfilling in a way that even your best days on earth can't compare. And why is that? Because we're going to be working for God's glory. And when I think about this, I think about what I saw last night at the uh, fall festival. 
And uh, when I say what I saw, I mean once I, uh, you saw the, the pie that was shoved into my face by Addie Harpel. Thank you, Addie. Uh, so once I was able to get the whipped cream out of my eyes, then I was able to see this, um, that I saw a church full of people all using their gifts and working together. And some of you were serving food, some of you were leading games, working in the photo booth or cleaning up or talking to people, trying to encourage people. Oh, man, our neighbors were here. And you saw people having intentional conversations with people from our community. And like that was just a beautiful picture of heaven on earth, I think, that we got last night. Like we got to have eyes for these things, of glimpses of heaven on earth, of eternity now. It was beautiful of using your God-given gifts to glorify God. It's why I believe in the institution of the local church with my whole heart. It's why I want to spend my whole life serving the local church in whatever way God allows me to do that. Because when a group of people come together who have been fundamentally changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just a group of people who know the right religious words to say. Not certainly a group of people who think they're better than everyone else because they go to church. But when a group of people come together who have truly been changed by Jesus, when that group of people comes together and says, I'm going to love this person next to me. I'm going to serve that person next to me. I'm going to help them. I'm going to put their needs ahead of my own. I'm going to use what God has given me and what he's blessed me with, and I'm going to use the thing that, things that I love to do that God has allowed me to excel at and be good at and have skill in. I'm going to use these things to serve that person. And why am I going to do that? Because how could I not do that? Because look at what Jesus did for me. Jesus gave his life for me, so I'm going to turn around and be selfish with my gifts. Jesus gave up everything for me, so I'm going to turn around and just take everything that I can for myself. Of course not. When a group of people truly believes they already have everything in Christ and then decides to live like the family of God, boom, right there, church, that is a taste of eternity. Like right there. And we got a taste of it last night, and it was beautiful. And we're not there yet fully. We get these glimpses of what it's going to be like. But we still sin. We still hurt each other. We still gossip and lust and envy and slander and do these things that God says are harmful. But we can get a glimpse. And that, church, is the point of this whole series. Eternity starts now. And Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make all things right. We're going to be able to live on this earth together with Jesus for eternity in glorified bodies that don't have the effects of sin and brokenness that our current bodies carry, in relationships that are perfect and unhindered by sin. We're going to love one another perfectly. We're going to be completely selfless. We're going to have relationships with each other that uh, even put the, the greatest marriages on earth uh, make that pale in comparison to the ways that we're going to be able to love each other. So we need to think of uh, eternity like this. If we think of heaven, and this is just, I, we need to all have this mind shift. If we think of heaven as this eternal vacation, escape from problems and escape from the evil world, 
then we're actually going to become less like Jesus as we wait for it. See that? If heaven's just like, boop, okay, you're out of here now. Why wouldn't I just sit around and be selfish and wait for that, right? I already got the, the Jesus saved me, punched my salvation card. Why wouldn't I just be selfish? Why would I truly give my life for others like Jesus did? I wouldn't. If we think of eternity of heaven as just this escape from this evil world, we're going to become less like Jesus as we wait for it. But if we think of eternity as perfectly living in relationship with God and with others, like the Bible tells us to, without the hindrance of sin and brokenness, that's when we start to understand that we can't experience it fully now, but we don't have to wait. Eternity starts now, church. You're in it. So love God, love your neighbor, and pray that Jesus comes back soon to make everything right again. Oh, what a hope we have in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we praise you. We thank you for the hope of eternity. God, you've given us glimpses in your word of what that will be like. But even so, our, our minds can't comprehend it. But we, what we can comprehend is this. We're called to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're called to love our neighbor as ourself. And in the meantime, well, we still have a chance because evangelism and missions will not exist in the new creation. And so while we still have a chance, while we're loving you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, while we're loving our neighbor as ourself, we're called to make you known from our neighbors to the nations, to the ends of the earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Oh God, for those of us in this room right now, uh, watching online, who have lost loved ones recently, Pray that the hope of eternity just, just girds them and binds them and holds them. Not an esoteric hope that's just out there in the clouds somewhere, but a hope that is a person, flesh and blood, Jesus Christ. And for all of us, may we long for that day. God, by your Spirit, supercharge us now. We have the Spirit now, the fullness of the Spirit. We don't live like it. Give us a burden for our neighbors to know you. Give us a burden for those who have never heard all over this earth to hear of your salvation and be saved. Thank you for the hope of eternity. May we live in it now. In Jesus' name.